Hey everyone, welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast. My name is Dan Rosell, and as always, I'm joined by John Fisher. How are you doing this morning, John? I am doing okay. How are you doing today, Dan? I'm okay. I'm, you know, getting through the day, getting through the days without hockey, and uh, luckily, there was some more Devils news this week than there was last week, but also we have the bottom half of our top 10 now of, there's a lot of qualifiers to this, the top 25 under 25, so... Let me just introduce that portion of the list from the beginning. The bottom five of the top ten of the top 25 under 25. There's a lot of prepositions, but I hope you kept track of all that. You did a good job, Dan. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> grammar is my specialty. Anyway, let's start with going over some of the devil's news that happened this last week. And we talked about it uh, in our last podcast, and it just so happened to come out on November 16th. The reverse retro jerseys were revealed for every team in the NHL, and there were some gems. There were some, did you guys actually read the assignment? And there were some, well, we have a practice jersey. Let's just use that. So in terms of how the Devils did, the reaction around the league and around the uh, writers around the league was, I would say, generally leaning towards more positive and more excited. Uh, but I know you have some differing thoughts from the Devils' new unveiled green. So uh, give us your thoughts before I tell you why you're wrong. Dan, the jerseys from the mid-90s through to about 2017 is the Coca-Cola classic of looks. It's similar to Detroit's it, you know, famous red and white jerseys with the, with the, we, the winged wheel it's up there with the Yankees and their pinstripes. It's up there with, you know, every classic jersey that you see treaded out for every soccer team after some genius at Adidas or Nike or Puma decides, I want to do something different. Everybody hates it. And then they go back to the classic design. Then mm-hmm. the whole point of a retro anything is to try to remember good things from the past. We don't do retro you know retro influenza from the 1919 era we don't do retro gas the gas crisis that you know meant everybody waited online to get gas everywhere in the set from the 70s we don't do that type of nostalgia that's not what nostalgia implies then we don't do we don't try to remember terrible things from the past or annoying things from the past the era that i'm speaking of is when the devils were winning cups when the devils were contenders when making the playoffs wasn't good enough to celebrate because it was expected you make the playoffs. Why is that not the look? Instead, we get another representation, another remix of the 1980s. Great. You flipped green and red. Good job, guys. And, and, And I guess because ownership thinks, hey, we celebrated a playoff appearance for the first time since 2012. Let's go back and continue to reference the era when the team barely made the playoffs that one time that, you know, we trot out over and over again. Never mind the fact that, you know, the retro jerseys were brought out multiple times over the last uh, decade and procured plenty of L's to go with it. This is an ugly jersey, Dan. It's not it's not good looking. And the Devils have a perfect look that they could reference. And instead, you know, we get another red, white and green travesty. Okay. A travesty. <laughs> okay. Now, I'm going to let you make a point before I make a second point about this, because mm-hmm. I feel like I'm, I'm overbearing already. So, so Dan, tell me why you're wrong. 
Okay, so I believe that you're being extremely dramatic about this and that the point of the exercise is not to, uh, because they're reverse retros, it's not like they're copying the exact uniform. They are referencing things from the team's past, not necessarily good or bad. If you look around the league, there are a lot of teams that didn't go with their best eras. They did not go with their best jerseys from their best eras. Instead, what they did was add a new aesthetic in a time where the league has shifted significantly. These teams look very different than those teams of the past, and so why not start a new era, especially for New Jersey, which has branded itself as the Garden State for its entire existence. Why not have a green jersey to reflect the fact that there aren't just steam factories and ports here instead there are just a lot of trees and vegetation and we're known for so many things in agriculture in new jersey and that's what we focus on we focus on honoring the legacy of the state that green doesn't represent the 80s devils that are unsuccessful instead it represents the garden state that the only team that brands itself as being from there so to me this is honoring that legacy instead of the ancient devil's legacies where they did not uh, have much success and i understand wanting to honor those 90s years but they do that in their everyday jerseys they aren't that different from what the devils wore in the past you just take off the band at the bottom and so if they chose to approach it by making it a black jersey which everyone has been clamoring for for a while then fine but to me this doesn't represent an old era of hockey because none of these jerseys really do a lot of them are references to old things but they are new jerseys they are um for look around the league for a lot of teams that arizona coyotes purple jersey you can't argue that they had any sort of success wearing that but here they are and everyone loves the design the Colorado Avalanche, as the Quebec Nordiques, did not have uh, any, I don't think they won a single championship as the Nordiques, and yet here they are honoring that legacy as well, which I have a whole different, I have a whole different thought about using old logos of cities that they've departed, but that's a separate case. It seems like the reaction around the league was overwhelmingly overwhelmingly positive because that's the best-selling jersey that came out uh, of this jersey line so to me this is a different it serves a different purpose than um, honoring each team's past individually instead it kind of brings them to a new era and updates the aesthetics of them and gives people more options to choose from as well i think the jersey looks great i think it's perfectly time for the holiday season um, considering the color scheme and i have no problem with that despite uh, not even celebrating Christmas. So I think they did a great job with this, and so do a lot of other people. Dan, if the Devils were really trying to honor state, the honor the state of New Jersey, you would think they would have you know, represented the colors of like the state flag or other colors that are associated with New Jersey. Yes, it's called the Garden State, but guess what, Dan? It's 2020, okay? The Industrial Revolution happened. Okay, the city has been the, the city of Newark and the state of New Jersey has been much, 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 much more known about what is manufactured, what is developed, what is transported, the businesses, as opposed to some dude's garden hanging out in Vinland or hanging out in like, I don't know, Mount Laurel. Okay, yeah, I get it. There's still farms in New Jersey. But when you think of New Jersey, you don't go, hey, let's get some tomatoes. No, it's let's get something done because that's what New Jerseyans do. We get things done. And this is and this is, again, you know, to your earlier, earlier point about how Adidas and, and their wonderful you know designers that I sure get I'm sure get paid incredibly good money 
to just flip some colors and go, yep, good job. I'm going to go grab some lunch. Because that's essentially what they did here with the original jersey design for the New Jersey Devils. And it boggles my mind how a primary black jersey has never been tried with this organization. Because going to Devils games, you see people who legitimately wear the practice jersey that is black or they wear the terrible, you know, black, you know, neon attempt by Adidas when, you know, everybody had a black jersey, but they had like that color outline that just looks garish. But people bought that and wear that because guess what, Dan? Black is a fantastic color. It is a wonderful color, Dan. It's a neutral color in fashion and goes with anything. The absence of color, John. No, it's not the absence of color. It's the absence of light. Uh, It's It's all the colors combined. Look, you're wearing jeans. You can wear black with that. You're wearing slacks coming from work. (laughs) Black works with that. You're wearing shorts because, you know, you're one of those weird people that's like, yo, I'm just going to wear shorts all year round. No matter the fact it's 30 degrees outside. Black works with that. You're wearing a skirt or a skort even. You can wear black with that. You you go informal, wear some black. Casual, black. There's a reason why every band or every you know um, other attempt at merchandising typically has something in black because black goes with everything. You cannot go wrong with black. There's a reason why, Dan. You have to try incredibly hard to mess up black. And if all the devils did was just replace the Minnesota Wild Green, yes, I said it, Dan, the Minnesota Wild Green – They're the team that pretty much has taken over that shade of green, even more so than Dallas somehow. But they did. Just give us black. People would buy that up. People would wear it. It would fit. And it would be a great look to go along with the New York Red Bulls, who, if I'm not mistaken, man, Adidas owns the MLS contract, correct? I have no idea. Okay, well, it would go along with with, what the Red Bulls did because they did proof of concept, Dan. Their primary jersey this season was a black jersey with red lettering and red a red nameplate, along with, obviously, their logo, which obviously is a red bull. So it looks sharp. It looks fashion forward. It looks like somebody put some thought and design into it. Black works, Dan. I'm going to tell dark, you right now. A dark I, green doesn't. I could not care less what the Red Bulls wear in context of the NHL. It does not matter to me at all. They brand themselves as New York anyway. So that is, to me, it doesn't matter. I appreciate if the aesthetic looks nice, but what they do has zero bearing on what the Devils are supposed to do, in my opinion. And also, New Jersey, to me, is not this industrial uh, haven of garbage that everyone likes to say it is around the country. To me, it's living in a forested area, heavily wooded area with lots of colors, lots of colors, including and not limited to very extremely green all the time there's a lot of green in this state there's a lot of parks in this state there's a lot of reason to make this a green jersey and also we just passed a very corresponding law to make the state even more green so i think that in itself is enough reason for some people to want to buy this jersey and i think people will want to buy this jersey i think it'll sell very very well um i i don't have any concerns for people being concerned about matching that jersey with their jeans i can't imagine anyone thinking about that when they buy a jersey so to me i have no issues with this uh but yeah would i have preferred a black jersey sure but i think this one looks great i think they really did a good job honoring it well thank you for highlighting my point even with this standoffish opinion you know this apparent 
re- apparent reality that New Jersey's filled with green, which, you know, I guess makes sense if you're living in the pine, you know, in the pine barrens in the south or you're in the northwestern part of the state, even though neither of us are in those areas, um, that you even just admitted that a black jersey would look great. And that you would buy. It. Yeah, but that's two separate points. Me saying a black jersey would look good doesn't mean I'm saying the green one looks bad. No, but it highlights my point that a black jersey would be preferable and would satisfy more people. Yeah, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about whether or not the green one is bad or not. I guess I guess what like a lot of things in life, we'll just have to agree to disagree. Okay. But I'm fine. But with I will that. say that if if if, the, if Adidas was smarter with a lot of their jerseys, because as you said at the very beginning, a lot there was a lot of cases of you know, they just flipped a color or they just brought back a design that was previously used and just called it a day. Because this is also Adidas's problem in soccer where they do the same thing. I mean, you get teams hyped up for, you get people hyped up for this brand new jersey and at the end of the day, it's like, it's a white jersey or it's a blue jersey or it's a green, it's a red jersey. And it looks very similar to the jersey of last year and the year before and the year before and the year before. Yeah, I mean, you I can also be the I, Islanders and be like, I submitted this assignment at 11.59 the day of. Right. Well, I have a lot more respect with the Islanders recognizing the cash grab that it is and telling their fans, you know what? The economy's not doing so hot. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We may not even have a season at this point. And not just because the NHL and the PA are arguing over money again, but also... We don't know if the governments are going to allow gatherings in the within the next month or so, of any type. Um, that uh, you know what we don't you don't need to spend an extra hundred and fifty dollars on a brand new jersey that we're maybe going to wear for like five games and, and call it a day. Here. No one needs to spend money on a jersey honest. though. It's it's everyone's personal choice whether or not they want to spend the money. I understand. It, it's always your choice to spend money. On a jersey. Yeah, so as magnanimous as the Islanders may seem for doing absolutely nothing, I know a lot of their fans were not happy with that. So at the very least, um, it, it gives people more fun options, and I think it gives people uh, a little more variety in terms of what they could be wearing. But yeah, let's get off of this now, because I don't think we're going to agree here. I think there's a fundamental difference in how we view this great state of New Jersey, but there is no difference in how uh, us and all our listeners view the New Jersey Devils. And there should be uh, some difference in how we view some of the Devils' prospects playing abroad uh, based on our list that we've had here of the top 25 under 25. And I have to say, there are some names that we've already gone through on that list that probably have improved their standing in people's minds just in the last couple of weeks. Absolutely. Again, we've done this list um, at the end of September. Like I believe it was the last two weeks of September where I asked the community through the survey to provide their votes. I asked you and the other writers, as well as myself. Yes, I asked myself. I'm very good <laughs> at asking myself questions, everyone, um, to d- compile their own lists and then put them all together. And the age cutoff was October 8th. So obviously it's November. We're recording this on Sunday, as usual. So it's November 22nd. And yeah, some players have absolutely approved their uh, their stock, so to speak, such that I think if we were to do the rankings right now, I think a couple guys would move up and a couple guys would also move down a little bit. I don't think it would be a massive change. But I do think there would be some some shifts. Would that you know? be by virtue of like people moving up or just because something has happened to them that um, would cause their ranking to drop a little bit? I think a little bit of both. And, you know, I think this is a good segue to talk about how some of the different devils are doing in Europe right now, because since the NHL is not doing anything, there's no AHL hockey. 
um, you know, if you're a hockey fan, you're paying attention to what's happening in Europe and the start of the college season as well, because mm-hmm. college has begun in America, um, sort of. Yeah, we'll, partially. We'll touch on that in a moment. <laughs> yeah, part. Yeah, there, it's it's a little touch and go here. So I'll give you an example of a guy that may have shifted down a little bit. Uh, Yannick Kwakinen, who finished at 11 on the list, barely made the top 10, or barely missed the top 10, I should say. Well, he had a goalish streak, you know. <laughs> Throughout the past month or so, it was a, a ten-game uh, pointless streak. Even not even not even assists. It wasn't for a lack of trying. It's just Carpat just was not producing. And Carpat in general has just had some struggling games, which is a little surprising considering they have Aturate, who is considered to be you know one of the top prospects of the 2021 draft. They have uh, Juicy Jokinen, longtime NHL uh, veteran. They have Jesse Puljujarvi, who Edmonton fans kind of want to bring back, even though. It doesn't. It's not sure how that's going to happen at this moment. It might, maybe. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Uh, but Quackenden finally, it, it, over the past couple of days, not, finally scored a goal, and he just had a one goal, one assist night uh, last night. So he's now up to seventh on the team in points with three goals and three assists. So he did pull himself out a little bit. But if we were to do the ranking, say a month later, I think he may have dropped a spot or two just because he isn't producing as much in Carpat, and unfortunately since this is an exercise of perception, an offensive player not producing is, well, not good for perception. Right. Uh, you expect those players to produce, uh, especially when you see guys like Nick Merkley, who for, um, bear with me for a moment, for Asat, I hope I pronounced that correctly, continues to be very productive. He's got four goals and nine assists in 18 games. He plays just under 16 minutes per game. He's got 54 shots on net in 18 games. He's third on their team in scoring. He's actually tied with uh, Otto Kivinmaki for the second most points on the team, actually. Mm. So, you know, he's doing his job. And it's almost like, well, if Merkley's doing well and Quokken is not, then maybe we should consider Merkley to be higher than him or something to that effect. (laughs) Um, And then another name that was skyrocketing even when we talked about him was uh, Jaeger Sharangovich, who continues to do well. Yes, he is continuing to be one of the top scorers in the KHL. No, you didn't mishear me. I didn't just say for his team at Dinamo Means. <laughs> like, he's still one of the top goal scorers in the entire league. Right. Uh, the KHL is not a very high-scoring league, but he's up there with, with, with the top guys. I don't think he's in the top five at the moment. I think he just got bumped off recently. Mm-hmm. I am just quickly checking that to make sure I did not embarrass myself with that statement. But... You know, Yegor is tied for six with Justin Donforth and uh, Sergei Shirokov for 12 goals, which, you know, should tell you, A, that, again, this is a low-scoring league, and B, that among this low-scoring league, he's outperforming Marcus Granlund, he's outperforming, um, he's outproducing, I should say, uh, former NHL uh, prospects and veterans like uh, Rob Klinkhammer and Nigel Dawes and Stefan DaCosta, guys that kind of had a chance, didn't really make it, went to Russia and found better better tidings there. Mm-hmm. And other players like Anton Shlepyshev, um, Miko Letnin, uh, Stanislav Galiev. Um, so, I mean, again, only five guys have more goals than him in, in the entire league. And this dude, Sharon Govich, he's nearly averaging 19 and a half minutes per game. So, like, he's Dinamo Minsk's literal top forward in, in many senses. Mm-hmm. So... That's a guy that I think would rank much higher if we were to do the list right now. And I think another guy that would benefit staying in Russia would be Shakir Mukhamadulin. Um, we did talk about how he was productive at the very least with Ufa. And, you know, he did very well at the Kajala Cup. He played bit, the most minutes for Team Russia. 
Uh, just yesterday, he got an assist, and you know what that means, Dan? What does that mean? He's. It means he is he is now the all-time leader in KHL history for most points by a defenseman at the age of 18. Very good. That's yeah. when he's drafted 20th overall uh, as a big surprise and a big shock to people who have been following the board. That's the kind of record you want to see him get. Like I know the actual number amount may not be too many, but you still yeah. want him setting marks like that as a sign of what's to come. Right. And he's played 29 games. Um, there's 31 games left in the season. It's the 60 game season. And of course, assuming, and this is a big assumption, all 31 games get to be played because, you know, pandemic. Yeah. Uh, if he can get seven points, he'll have the most points by an under 20 player in KHL history. Now, of course, Muka Madulin is part of their power play, and you could argue that, you know, the big concern with Muka Madulin has always been the defensive part of the game. You know, the fact that right. sometimes he just, you know, sometimes the controller goes off <laughs> in his own zone sometimes, to put it nicely. But again, those are things that you could fix. And, you know, I'm of the opinion of, look, offense is, is part of his game. Yes, it, you know, power play is an easier place to get points than otherwise, but the coach thinks you're good enough to play on the power play. And again, as I've said over and over again, and you agree with this, Dan, and many others have agreed with this, Russian hockey culture does not play young players. Yeah. Period. Yeah. They just don't, unless you're the rare exception of like an Ovechkin. And even in those cases, it's like, well, hold on, son. You're not ready for 20 minutes a game, despite the fact that you're built like a brick house and, you know, you do amazing things on the ice. We got to limit you to 10 minutes. Okay. Yeah. You got to know your place. You got to earn. You got to pay your dues, son. I feel like that's the discussion, even though it's would be in Russian, of course. Oh, yeah. um, well, we, we have to acknowledge also that he's going to get an opportunity to play um, a lot more. Uh, well, you know, assuming the tournament goes as planned, uh, because World Juniors is coming up and he has earned a place at the training camp. Uh, Shakir Mukumadulin has alongside another Devils prospect in uh, Arseny Gritsuk. That's right. Both of them played for Russia at the Kadrala Cup. They sent an under 20 team. Both you and I uh, agreed that that's probably a good sign of who's going to go to the World Junior Championship since that was on their U20 team. And lo and behold, both of them are in camp. Uh, Gritsiak, I think, has some work to do just because there's just more Russian forwards in the pool. But I would I would imagine Muka Madulin's like a lock to make the make the team. And Gritsiak probably has a pretty good chance since he did well at the Kardala Cup. Mm -hmm. So congratulations to both of them for uh, making making the camp. And I hope they do well enough so they can go play at the World Junior Championships. And of course... I hope there's a World Junior Championship since the IIHF has canceled everything on their international schedule except for the World Junior <laughs> Championship, the World Under-18 Championship, the Men's World Championships, and the Women's World Championships. Everything else, uh, Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, and even Division Four for the World Championship, they're not happening this year. Well, we can even but... stick with the World Juniors um feel here and go to another country where there's some Devils prospects playing, uh, including... But let's go to Canada. It's Graham Clark. And, of course, just to start our transition to our bottom five of the top ten of the top 25 under 25, whew, we have Dawson Mercer at Team Canada's camp as well. That's right. And Mercer, you know, you know, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League decided to say, we're just going to run our regular season. And then, of course, the pandemic, you know, shut that down for about a month for, like, two-thirds of the league, yep. including Dawson Mercer, Shikutumi, Sanguines. And, of course, now that Shikutumi and six other teams are being bubbled, in a sense, to play at the video uh, Videotron Center in Quebec City, 
Mercer is not there because he is invited to an extra long camp since the other two major junior leagues in Canada are not playing. So it begs, it, it stands to reason you want to get some additional prospects uh, minutes in preparation for this very important tournament that Canada is always looking to win. And a lot of the times they do. So Mercer is now hanging out in, um, in Alberta with a very large world junior camp that includes Graham Clark, which was a surprise to me since I didn't expect Clark to be included since, you know, he, you know, he, he got injured last season and it's not like Canada is short on forwards, (laughs) you know, Canada, maybe more than Russia is a harder team just to be considered Mm -hmm. just because you're fighting a plethora of talent. Like for a guy like Graham Clark, it's almost like, you know, we, we can Canada hockey Canada can replace you easily. Like, it's no, you know, it's, you know, the guys like, you know, the, this Quentin Byfields, if, the, if he gets injured or he's unable to play, that's a little harder to replace just because it's hard to replace a six foot four of Jenny Malkin like center. But a guy like Clark, no disrespect to him, but there's a lot of great wingers in Canada. Yeah. Tiny scoring um, winger. <laughs> How many do you want? <laughs> exactly. But Clark has was actually playing on a top line in, in an uh, exhibition game. Um, yesterday, and of course, because it's Canada, um, that game was um, broadcasted because there ain't nothing happening most of junior hockey outside of Quebec, so and the Maritime provinces, of course. So that game was broadcast. Clark was playing right wing on a top line on Team uh, Team White, I believe, and Mercer on the same team was curiously playing left wing, which is interesting since he played center and right wing for Drummondville and Chicoutimi last season. So it's showing Mercer's versatility. In camp, and of course, I would expect Mercer to be a near lock to make the team just because he made last year's team mm-hmm. as a draft eligible player. I can't imagine he got worse over the season, and unless he has the worst camp possible, I can't imagine Hockey Canada will just be like, "Eh, this guy that we brought on as an 18 year old, he he's still he's no good at 19." Like, I think they'll they'll find a spot for Mercer even if it isn't a depth role. But that's kind of Mercer's mo here is that he's a versatile, do it all pretty well uh, forward and. You need those types of players in, in the championship setting as well as you do need them in a pro setting. So the number 18th overall pick from 2020 comes in at number 10 on our That's list right. of the top 25, under 25, for all those reasons you just mentioned. He's versatile. He fits um, alongside what the Devils need, potentially moving him to the wing. And there's a lot of uh, compliments on his demeanor. He's very, He seems very even-keeled. He seems very genuine. And it's, it's nice to have... Uh, players that you can like for reasons other than their hockey. So besides the fact that he's a valuable prospect in the devil system now uh, coming in, like I said, at number 10, just based on, you know, the value they were able to get drafting him at 18th overall. Um, he, he has a seemingly bright future ahead of him. And I don't, I think people are kind of, they're, they're seeing the Holtz pick and they're seeing that do well. And they're going to Mukamadul and they're like, okay, this was kind of like found money. But Mercer doesn't get talked about enough. And I think he could be someone very valuable for the Devils uh, in a few years. Absolutely. He may not be your play driving center or your play, you know, your dominant forward, but that's the benefit is that he doesn't need to be. Right. He needs to be that. I hate to typecast him already at age 19, but um, he's very similar to the best of Travis Zajac, a guy that could fill a lot of different roles, wear a lot of different hats, and do good good enough at all of them that you appreciate the value, even if you know he doesn't become a top scorer or your team's most dominant player. But you need guys like that if you want to have a successful team, even if success means just making the playoffs every once in a while. Mm-hmm. You need those guys, and a guy like Mercer 
he may end up in the future as a wing since the Devils have Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer. You know, they probably don't need um, him to play center necessarily. But Mercer can can do that. Mercer can be productive. He can work very well on and off the puck at wing. And that those are players that you can get excited to see doing in junior, and you can see that translate to the next level. Mm -hmm. And another player that is going to play the wing alongside one of those centers that you mentioned, uh, or ideally is going to play wing alongside one of the centers that you mentioned in New Jersey, is another player acquired this year. And this is someone that the Devils were not expected to get for anyone they had on their roster. But this is Nolan Foote, and he was acquired in the Blake Coleman trade with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And he comes in at number nine on our list. And uh, he is the wing solution that I think from a prospect perspective, Fitz and Shiro had been looking for uh, in terms of matching timelines with Hughes and Heischer. Absolutely. When the news came out that Blake Coleman was traded, it was a surprise, partially because I think it was just before a game, actually. Yep. And I think the Andy Green trade also dropped like around the same time. I think it was was before the Columbus game where they actually won for the first time in a long time. Yes, that's right. They finally beat Columbus for the first time in... 10 years, 11 games, or, <laughs> yeah, something like that. It's probably games, but it felt like, games. yeah, yeah, yeah. anyways, <laughs> um, one of the reasons why help, people helped accept the trade was one, the devil's being a bad hockey team. But the other reason was Nolan foot because he was one of Tampa Bay's best prospects in their pool. And Tampa Bay has had a lot of success developing players, even, you know, even if they're not sexy names, but getting a Carter Vandergay or a, uh, of course now I'm, liking on names but guys like yanni gord come come through their system um guys like um braden point braden point have come through their system of course um i have i have a higher opinion of point because he was a dominant scorer in his age and you know the devil should have well you you can go to like you know whatever plot like any of those guys exactly yeah thank you yeah palat is another great example so there was some hope that you know if you're a guy in tampa bay's system you know you're gonna you're you're in a good place but at the same time the Devils really needed a prospect like Foot. You needed a big winger that shoots the puck a lot, shoots the puck well, creates plenty of offense, and uses that size. He's not just a big guy just skating around. Like, he can use his size to an advantage in the, quote-unquote, the dirty areas where you go out and get goals. Um, the big foot for issue... The big... <laughs> no, the big issue for Foot... <laughs> Is his foot. Is his foot. I was going to say, the big foot's foot issue. (laughs) And that his skating was was one of the reasons why he was not drafted higher in his draft year. Um, And it was a big concern of whether or not he was really worth a first-round draft pick. Obviously, Tampa Bay felt otherwise, and obviously it worked out to a degree. Um, Last season was a bit rough for him in the sense that he had a, quote, nagging lower body injury. So he only got 27 games with Kelowna. Uh, that being said, he still put up 15 goals and 33 points, and he still put up two goals and three assists with Canada's gold medal, gold medal winning World Junior Championship squad. So it makes me wonder what he could have done with a fully healthy season, and of course a season that wasn't cut short by a pandemic. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the guy definitely showed up and showed improvement it last season, which is exactly what you want to see in your draft plus one year. So he's going to turn 20 on November 29th. Like, he's going to celebrate it next week, uh, next Sunday. So... You know, he his future is going to be in pro hockey. Um, and I think that's really the next step for him, because I'm not sure what more he needs to do in juniors. Um, you know, he's already big and uses his size. He's already very good at getting his shot off. His skating has seemingly improved enough to be a little bit more mobile and more effective at the junior level. Um, 
I want to see how he does in the AHL and how he adjusts to a faster game, a game full of men, a game full of uh, professionals, and see if he can do the same. Because if he can, that really bodes well for you know a potential top six winger who could look very good next to um, Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer, or even if it doesn't turn out to be big minute uh, player, you know, a guy alongside of Pavel Zaka or Nick Merkley or or whomever else in that area. So Foote's a great prospect, and as such, he comes in at number nine on the list. Yeah, and he's someone, like you said, the Devils were very excited to get back, and Devils fans did not expect to get someone of his caliber back for Blake Coleman. Uh, and I, I think part of that was the fact that not a lot of people expected Blake Coleman to be traded when he was, but uh, this is a very pleasant return to see. And hopefully Nolan Foote, he gets a legitimate shot to make the roster next year. Uh, there may not be room just yet, but he is definitely closer than a lot of other prospects. Absolutely. And again, if he does well at camp, you know, there's no reason why he can't make the team right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, similar to our next guy on the list mm-hmm. coming in at number eight. Now, granted, his, his situation was a little more complex than that, Dan. Yeah. Uh, it's Jesper Bokvist. And if you if you remember listening to us about a year ago, we talked about this. We wrote about this at the site. Um, Jesper Bokvist's situation last season was when he signed his ELC, he had a European out clause, meaning that if he didn't make New Jersey – uh, if he wasn't with the New Jersey Devils by December, um, he could go back to Sweden and play. Yep. So the option for Brokefist was never NHL, AHL, or keep him unsigned in Sweden. It was AHL, uh, I'm sorry, NHL or Sweden. So he did decently enough in camp. So the Devils decided, you know what, rather than risk him going back to Sweden, let's get him into the NHL game right away. And it was kind of rough for him. Yeah. But it was rough for it, everyone, to be fair. It, it was. Like, yeah, when you're on a bad hockey team, it's not a good season for a lot of right. people. So, like, maybe some of his uh, difficulty in transitioning to the NHL had to do with the fact that uh, it must have been pretty demoralizing to play on the team after the early losses last year. Not only that, is that he didn't make the roster right away. There were plenty of games where he was in the um, press box sitting with Patrick Eliash and other vet, you know, veterans telling him, hey, look at this, look at this, look at this, which is maybe useful in a sense. But as a player, especially a young player, to be told you're making the team and then you're not in on the active roster is a demoralizing right. feeling. It's like, wait, I made the team, but now I'm not playing. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. What is this? <laughs> uh, and when he did play, he did get into 35 games last season, but they were often in limited minutes. And, oh, boy, it was not good. Uh, his Corsi 4 percentage on the ice was 45.28%, which was one of the lower ones on the team. And in general, for those of you who are not familiar with Corsi, percentages, 50% is break even. You want to be 50% or higher. So being at 45% is bad. And his expected goals 4 percentage, which is a count of, like, all the shots against and for the team and what is the percentage of that, is 39.74, which was one of the lowest on the team, period, and is just pitiful. And Bokvist himself only scored four goals and took 41 shots in 35 games. So, um, yeah, this was a classic case of a guy that was in over his head, (laughs) to put it nicely, and struggled on a bad hockey team that clearly was playing bad and didn't have the right setup and the right coaching and the right situation to really help him along here. So, um, unfortunately, since the out clause was there, that was the, that was the best the Devils decided to do. And after December passed, uh, he was demoted to Binghamton. The good news, though, Dan, and this is, I think, why he was ranked as high as eight this year, um, is because he did very well 
in the AHL and did well in Sweden this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a in the AHL, he made an instant impact with the Binghamton, Binghamton Devils. Um, he was one of the reasons why the team got hot. He played 19 games for the B Devils, scored eight goals, put up three assists, and put 41 shots on net. Yes, in in, in fewer games than he did in the NHL, he put up just as many shots as he did there. Mm-hmm. So this was a classic case of, okay, he would have been very good at the AHL if you were able to put him there the whole season because he was clearly ready for that level of hockey. And on top of that, in his loan to Timra IK of the Hockey Allsvenskan, which is Sweden's second division, he made an instant impact right there as well. He played in 10 games. He averaged 14 and a half minutes thereabouts. He scored three goals and put up seven assists and put up 23 shots in 10 games, which is very good for an offensive player, what you want to see in 10 games. The loan ended earlier this month, as we discussed, I believe, last week. Yep. Or, or two weeks yeah, ago, maybe. What, whatever the case, it was recently ended. Um, so clearly that Bokvist could still handle the pro game in Sweden. So it's a classic example of, okay, he just needed to get his confidence. He needed to get his bearings in North America. But, you know, he just wasn't ready for the NHL yet at age 20, which is fine. Most people are not mm-hmm. ready for the NHL at age 20. <laughs> now that he has a year under his belt, there will be a new coaching staff. There will be a new setup. Bokvist will still have to fight for a job in camp. But I think he's got a better chance than most to make it just because he has that experience. He had a successful loan spell. And I think the organization is high on his abilities. Similar to uh, Mercer, he could play any of the forward positions. Um, There is a question of, you know, can Bokvis, you know, go into the quote unquote dirty areas? He seems to do better in the perimeter, um, but he works hard. He's willing to do what it need do what needs to be done to make the plays appropriately. He tries his best not to make ridiculous plays or risky plays that could put the team um, in bad spots. He moves pretty well. You know, I think it's a I think you run it back in the NHL. I think he would have a better time in the NHL this season compared to last season. And as such, NHL players tend to do well on this type of list. So that's why he's in the top 10 for another year running. And due to the graduation of Will Butcher and the trade of Joey Anderson, he moves up moves up a spot. Yeah, so the thing with him is he also seems to have, like you said, more of an inside track to make the roster just based on that transaction where the loan was terminated. Because if they didn't believe that he had a very legitimate shot to make the NHL roster right away they probably would not have terminated the loan, like I said, given the uncertainty surrounding the AHL this year. Uh, it, it was probably a safer option if they thought that, oh, you know, he he's fine, but he's doing okay in Sweden, we can leave him there. Like, no, the Devils believe that he will make a strong, strong case and will more than likely make the roster this time. So um, that, that speaks to me as to what the perception of him is within the organization and the fans as well. So Jesper Boquist comes in at number eight, and it's amazing the difference in perception between two slots here on this list because the number seven slot is someone who has been absolutely reamed by the fan base for several years now, and yet he's still number seven of the top 25 under 25, and is someone who is still young enough to salvage um, not only his perception with the New Jersey Devils, but around the league as well. And there's some good things he does, but our number seven is another disciple of Patrick Eliash in the press box. It's Pavel Zaka. All right. So as I just ended with Bokefist, NHL players tend to do on this list just because by virtue, they're in the NHL. They're in the best league in the world. Mm-hmm. By, by that definition, even if you're not a good player in the NHL, you're far better than the guy who hopes to make the NHL in the future because you're there. And Pavel Zaka, believe it or not, it's weird saying this, but 
He just finished his fourth season in the NHL, Dan. Like, he's played 266 games in the NHL. He is an NHL player. However, the big concern is, what are you going to do with him? Uh, He's 23 years old. He's going to turn 24 in April. So we're, you know, similar to Brett Cini and similar to Nick Merkley in a sense. He's he's getting to that point of what you see him now is what you're going to get. And what you have with him is a mixed bag at best. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, similar to Boakvist, you know, when he was on the ice last season, the Devils took, uh, you know, his took 40, just under 43% of all shooting attempts, which is very bad and very low and just under 46% of all shots on that. Meaning that when Zaka was on the ice, the play was going in the wrong direction. Zaka was not helping the cause per se. And the team was just bleeding scoring chances whenever Zaka was on the ice as well. And, it, and of course, Zaka primarily played in the bottom six last season. And of course, the bottom six of a bad team typically is going to get killed in the run of play. And the team is still unsure of whether or not he's a center or a left wing. They, they've, they've bounced him back and forth partially on an as-needed basis. But, you know, it's still an open question of, like, where do you play this guy? And it's weird to say that about a guy who's played, who just finished his fourth NHL season. That being said, however, he continues to be a very good penalty killer. So he understands the concept of defense in defensive situations. And he can be effective in that regard. Despite the issues that, you know, the consistency issues with his uh, play, he did put up 32 points last season, which is a career high for him. And believe it or not, he finished tied for fourth on the team in scoring last season. <laughs> That's actually which a is crazy a- number. Yeah, it's good for Zaka, but also an indictment of the 2019-2020 Devils. Seriously. <laughs> but there were enough performances down the stretch in 2020 where Zaka was exerting himself more on the puck, which is kind of one of the things that I would like to see more for him. I, you know, Some people need to be a little less selfish. He needs to be more selfish because he's he's got the skill to make good reads with the puck and good shots in, di- in tough situations. He's a guy that can help on a power play just as much as he can help on a penalty kill. So it begs the question, like, where was this like any earlier in your career, Saka? <laughs> so even though he is getting close to that older age where he's not really a developing player anymore, I really hope that Lindy Ruff and Mark Recchi sit this kid down and say, this is what you can do. And Because I feel like if you can make a couple of adjustments in his game, some tweaks, if you will, he can be a much more valuable player for the team, a guy that can do more than just get killed in the run of play put up a couple points and help out your penalty kit, which is what he's currently is. You know, you know, the big reason why fans do not like Zaka so much is because of where he was drafted. I mean, that's the reality of it. You know, he was drafted sixth overall in 2015. And right after him was Zach Rowenski, uh, even Provorov, Timo Meyer, uh, Miko Ratnan, uh, later on, Matt Barzell and, and, and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. There was just a lot of players that not only were drafted past him that maybe we would have preferred back in 2015 um, are, are, are all about the Jersey mock draft pick was Matt Barzell, by the way. Um, but those players turned out to be incredible players for their teams, whereas Zaka is just a guy. Um, but, you know, I'm, you know, I have to be that guy to say, look, the 2015 draft was five years ago, guys. The milk has been spilled. We can't unspill the milk. OK, yes. The pick was disappointing, but at this point, it's now about can you can you salvage his NHL career? He is a he has an NHL career. Again, he's played 266 games in the NHL. The question is, what can you do to get the best out of him at this point? And time is fleeting, but because he is an NHL player and he does have this talent, and there are some positive points to his game that makes him somewhat useful and could be useful in the future, 
he comes in at seven on the list. Yeah, I mean, I can't. It's still hard for me to blame him for not just the Devils, but also many other teams passing on Matt Barzell. Like, it's like you can blame the Devils, sure, for that one, but they're not the only team that did this. The Bruins did it three times in a row in the same draft, but I guess people have forgotten about that. Uh, well, that's because Boston has been a good team. Right, and the <laughs> Oilers gave away uh, the pick for Griffin Reinhardt, of all people. So, I again, like there's, there's other organizations that made more egregious mistakes, and Zaka, again, is still 23 years old. Ideally, he becomes that third-line checking center because of his emphasis on defense on the penalty kill um, that the Devils kind of see in Travis Zajac. You know, hopefully he... Uh, is a more a slightly more offensively oriented version of that. But even if he just plays the checking line there and facilitates that, as long as he's not completely underwater, the top two centers should be good enough for him to play that role and not need to uh, contribute significantly more to the offense. If he can keep his line above water, he is doing a good job. And so um, he is the player I'm most interested to see with the new coaching staff. He's He's by far the person that... You know, John Hines was his only NHL coach and uh, well, I guess Alan, L.A. Nazardine now, but um, that regime was the only one that he had learned from. And clearly there were uh, issues with development there throughout the course of their time. So I'm interested to see how he does with an experienced coach like Ruff, who's probably seen players like him before. And um, hopefully he they get to mold him into something that the Devils could really use as Travis Zajac. Um, you know, sees his tenure with the team draw closer to an end. Right. And again, it's, it. you know, you want to mold him, but it's just that he's, the mold is almost already set here. So it, like I said, there, I think I still want to believe you can make some adjustments to his game. You can get him to tweak some things because I really do think, I want to believe that you could still salvage the player, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's not going to suddenly turn around and become, you know, a 100-point scorer or a 50-goal scorer or anything like that. Um, not that the Devils have anybody in their system outside of, like, two guys that could possibly do that, <laughs> who are both in the NHL, by the way. And we'll be discussing next week. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, you all can probably figure out who we're talking about. <laughs> we mention them a lot. One of them may even be the captain under 25 years old, so... Exactly. But let's talk about a guy that still has an outside shot at being a 50 goal scorer, uh, given his young age and given his uh, talent level. It's number six on the list. And that's right. Number six on the list is seventh overall draft pick, Alexander Holtz. Mm -hmm. And Holtz, um, this is a pick that, you know, a lot of Devils fans, this was like, okay, I understand why they picked him here, but why not go for a Marco Rossi, as we discussed. But uh, yeah. I think the Devils have been rewarded with their um, with their selection here, as Holtz has been doing a great job in uh, Jurgarden and also uh, in several prospect sites, he was the top most searched player. So obviously people are paying attention. They're noticing him uh, expand his game and continue to do what makes him good in scoring goals alongside showing flares of, um, you know, offensive vision. He's found a lot of creative assists throughout his time uh, so far in the start of the season as well. And Holtz is someone that the Devils should be very, very, very excited uh, to see in camp, even as early as next year. Exactly. I mean, this is a guy that went from averaging just under 13 minutes per game with the um, with Girard and IF as, as a draft-eligible player. He put up 16 points in 35 games. 
He's averaging now just under 17 minutes per game in, in 13 games so far with your gardens. Like he, he's not even 19 and he's one of their top forwards already. Now, Swedish hockey culture is a little more forgiving for younger players. They understand with a guy like Holtz, you play the dude. And he has been remarkable. I think, you know, going back to what we discussed earlier is that if we were to do these rankings um, a month later than when we did them, Holtz, I think, would crack the top five, Dan, because mm -hmm. there are constant highlights of this man in Brian's posts every Tuesday about the prospects. He, he For all of you who don't know, Brian Franken, he, he covers the prospects on the site and he has a regular weekly post uh, updating everybody on how all the prospects are doing. And in just about every one of these posts, Dan, he has a Twitter um, embedded, a tweet embedded with a video clip of Holtz doing something amazing, whether it's. Um, a cross-ice pass to William Carlson, a 2021 draft-eligible player, by the way, for a great goal. Or him working the puck out of the corner, making a feed that gets uh, banged it, you know, for a shot that gets banged on the rebound while Holtz is correctly going to the bench for a change because he's tired instead of just admiring his play. Or, you know, him deking around three guys in overtime and, and hammering the iron on a great shot, which is almost like, you know, you see all the benefits of Holtz here is that he has an understanding of, yes, his shot release is fantastic, but he has a great, vi great vision with the puck. He not understands when to make plays. He can work pucks out of the corner. He's very quick. He's very mobile. He can beat defenders. Like there are, you can go to YouTube right now, Dan, and there are multiple, multiple Dan, more than one Dan. Multiple Dan. <laughs> multiple Dan's. No, multiple highlight videos of just his season so far, which is only like four, 13 or 14 games at this point. Like it's remarkable, like how well he has been doing in the SHL. And again, he's playing with a draft eligible player. He's playing with guys like Jacob Yosison. Yes. Former New Jersey devil, Jacob Yosison. He even set him up for an overtime goal, by the way. Like, it's just, um, you know, he has, like, I like the pick, Dan. Like, I was one of those people that would have preferred Marco Rossi or Cole Perfetti. Mm -hmm. But I said, if, if it was Perfetti, Holtz, Raymond, or, or 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 Rossi, I would be happy. And they picked Holtz, so I was happy. Now I'm thrilled just because the guy is just taking it to another level at, at, at the pro game in Sweden. Mm. And, you know, he's going to stay in Sweden for this season. And we'll see if, if the Devils can pry him out of there. At this point, I'm sure Drew Gardens is going to ask nicely, please don't. He's so good for us. And I imagine he's going to go to the World Junior Championships and be Sweden's top winger and continue to kill it. And the hype is just going to grow and grow and grow. And as it is, people have every reason to be hyped for this guy because this is your future scoring winger. And given the shot, given the plays, he could be a future top scorer. This is a guy that just thinking about him next to Heischer, him next to Hughes, him next to any NHL center, and you just think 30, 40, 50. <laughs> Say it very like, quietly so as not to jinx you, you, it. Not to jinx <laughs> it, but that's the thing. It's not that unrealistic that if you stick this guy with a superlative playmaker or a, or a superlative driver of the play, he will reward you with lots of points and be one of your top players, which is exactly what you want in a top 10 pick in an NHL draft. Yep. So, you know, guys like Steve Kurianos and Will Scouch both rave about the pick. And it's for that reason. It's the fact that there's a legitimate shot that he could be a top scoring player in the entire league. And it's not that ridiculous for me to say I'm not being a homer. <laughs> it's mostly because this dude's shot is that good. His offensive skills are that good, and he's currently, currently as of as of this recording, as of right now, he is 
quickly looking this up to drag this in. He is just behind the team lead in scoring for his hockey team in the professional SHL. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this isn't like the, you know, Arseny Gritsuk playing in Russia for the VHL. Like, yeah, that's, you know, minor leagues are minor leagues. You have to do well anywhere you play. But this is the top flight professional league in a country that is very famous for playing hockey. Like, it's not a league, you know, it's it's not the KH in terms of hierarchy, in terms of league strength. Yeah, it's not going to be the top two, and it probably won't ever be the top two, but this is a professional league in a country that cares a lot about this sport. Absolutely, and and this Jurgarden theme has a lot of talent on it. In addition to Alexander Holtz, it's got 2021 draft eligible William Eklund. It's got Linus Anderson. It has Jacob Josefson as previous major. It has former Devil... And Kovalchuk throw-in trade, uh, Nicholas Bergfors. Mm. It's got Albin Gru, who was just drafted. Um, it's got Dominic Bach, who was a, you know, I think he's there on a loan deal since he's only got eight games to his name. Um, you know, who was another top prospect, I believe, for Pittsburgh? I'm not positive. I don't know. I may have the team wrong. But the point is, is that this he's not on a scrubby team in a scrubby league here. Like, Sweden's hockey league is legit, and it's even more legit due to the loan spells there. And Holtz is a shot behind Bergforce for the team lead in shots. Like this is a guy who is who who is flexing his offensive muscle and he's not even 19 yet. Right. So it bodes incredibly well for the future. And I, I imagine this guy's this guy nearly made the top five this year. Like that's how people are hyped on him. And I, I imagine that uh, unless uh, assuming somebody from the top five that we'll talk about next week falls off a little bit, he could easily slide in there like he, he's chomping at the bit mm-hmm. so you know well well played to mr holtz and long long continue the offense keep it up keep keep chopping keep grinding keep making plays keep shooting and keep making the jergarden if fans very happy with you yeah and again the sooner we see him in jersey alongside one of the uh vaunted centers that we have here the better i'm very very curious to um to see what he looks like alongside these play driving centers that the devils currently have. And this is the piece that seemed to fit way, way more with what they were going for uh, in terms of positional draft needs. So happy that he's doing very well. And it brings us to our top five, which we'll discuss next week. But the names at this point should be quite obvious to you. I won't say them now, but I just, you know, they, they should be, very easy to determine who's left here Uh, and they're all names that we've mentioned in discussing other prospects along the way but uh thanks again for listening today um i don't believe there's any well there's a devil's prospect debut uh that we briefly want to touch upon that's uh, cole brady making his debut for arizona state university um in uh, that capacity they're they're playing in a different conference this year with complicated travel due to the pandemic but um he he made his start and that's a good sign for the devils to have more prospects playing as well yes he got uh he he got his college debut filling in um when michigan beat the crap out of uh, arizona state eight to one he played the third period for them Mm -hmm. um he made a he he made his debut last uh, uh on the 15th at michigan he Stopped 44 out of 47 shots in a 3-0 loss. Brady was the main reason why Arizona State did not lose by 8 again or 7 or some large number because uh, that Michigan team is real good. If you like the 2021 draft, you're going to want to watch Michigan just for Owen Power, Kent Johnson, and Matt Bernays. 
Um, but he made a start against a non-Michigan team on November 19th against Michigan State, went the distance, and uh, only gave up one goal in regulation. So even though you know the record isn't looking nice, Arizona State's record isn't looking very nice, he's got you know his first three starts, he's got a 90, 93 save percentage, which is an excellent beginning to his college career, which is good since his numbers in the NAHL and the USHL have not been very um, promising, which is why he did not come close to making the top 25 mm-hmm. this year. <laughs> so, but it's a good start. It's a good sign for him. It's a good debut. And you know, it's another reason why to pay to pay attention to college hockey because we've got Devils prospects now playing, provided that the colleges are playing their games. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to your schedules. <laughs> yeah, look out for the schedule and any changes that you could see. Uh, yeah, the little the little subtext that says schedule subject to change very much applies to this. Season. Right, right. And there's, you know, they they were gonna say that. Uh, the Big East specifically was supposed to play their first games and they hadn't released full schedules like I think five days before that first game was supposed to happen. So everyone is kind of on edge and waiting to see what develops here. And there's a couple other wrinkles as well uh, because youth hockey in New Jersey is not being allowed to run right now either. So there's a lot of New Jersey teams playing in Connecticut. Uh, I wonder what those restrictions might look like with a return to play and how they would affect the Devils. But um, athlete exemptions are something we can talk about later in terms of the uh, pandemic because there was some talk about the mask man mass mandate extending to athletes uh i'm going to use pennsylvania as an example there's a mask mandate there and athletes were not exempt so there's the potential that people playing games there would have to wear masks during the game on both teams and nowhere else not not true they did they did they did Did clarify that on the on the field of play you don't have to wear a mask oh okay okay but they did say you have to wear a mask like in in the locker rooms on the sidelines etc so you have to mask up in in the buildings per se because i think the previous exemptions was if you're in the if you're on site you don't have to because the site itself is uh, blocked off. But yeah, again, unfortunately, you know, we'll discuss this in the future when the NHL actually decides how they're going to have a season. But I imagine, despite the current beef they're having with the NHLPA over revenue splits and this and that, unfortunately, the government may kneecap them in this regard. You know, if some states say straight up no hockey. There's not going to be hockey in that area, and they have to come come up with a quick plan. The city of Toronto put a lockdown in, and they continue to tell their teams in, in Canada, no, you can't host teams. So the Toronto Raptors of the NBA are playing their games in Tampa Bay uh-huh. this year, um, which implies that maybe the NHL will have a Canadian-only division just to keep the Canadian teams within the country. But as the pandemic gets worse in the provinces, guess what? Don't be surprised if provinces start saying you can't travel between provinces, uh-huh. which is going to put a hamper on literally everything. So I guess that's one other reason why you shouldn't go out and buy 150, spend $150 on a new hockey jersey just yet, Dan. Well, I'm gonna, and you can't <laughs> stop me. Back to the <laughs> You're gonna get it anyway. I'm, I'm definitely gonna get it anyway. Uh, but that all being said, thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week to round off the top 25 under 25. And again, as we approach the end of that list, we're happy to uh, address any questions, comments, concerns you might have about the podcast or about the Devils. We're happily looking for any information we can get our hands on as uh, the uncertainty rages on, but it looks like the NHL is inching closer and closer to a return to play if they can figure out uh, the differences between the PA and the league right now, which... Uh, are kind of stalling the process more so than they did back in the spring and early summer. 
So we'll go into more detail on that later. But for now, thanks again for listening, and I hope you have a great rest of your day or night whenever you listen to this. Let's go Devils! Devils!